This is the Time Out with Shore Sports Podcast, covering high school and college sports here on the Eastern Shore with Mark Potter and Mike Bradley, presented by the Preston Automotive Group. And now, here's Mark and Mike. All right, this is episode 87 as we continue to roll along and we've reached the end of the regular season, uh, week number nine, wrapping up on Friday night. Had a couple of games on Thursday night, but most uh, taking place on Friday. Mark Potter's not with us again, but we do have have the coach Damian Ferragamo with us as uh, coach Mark of course did the war on the shore the 15th annual uh, between Kent Island and Queen Anne's now uh, coach we're going to try to get to the playoff matchups here uh, towards the end but as you and I were talking before the podcast started we have a problem and that is even though the state website says that they have the week nine final regular season point standings uh, when you go to click on the link for the sheet <laughs> they're still all week eight yeah that's, it's it's frustrating it happens you know it, it seems to happen a lot <laughs> with updating the points uh doesn't seem like it would be that difficult. I know it's just a spreadsheet they type wins and losses into, but uh, right. we'll do the best we can. Yes, yes, indeed. So we'll we'll try to have that at the end. So I just want to say that at the uh, at the beginning here, although I think we have a pretty good idea of things, but that all said, uh, it's not official until it's official. And we'll also talk about a game that ended up not being a game for Friday night when we do that through a recap. But I do have to start first with uh, major apologies to Coach, um, and especially since I ended up bringing up with you last week that, uh, you know, going back to the 5-5, five and 6-4 five, and four seasons and talking about three straight losses or five straight losses, and uh, all of it was uh, unnecessary. So I confused uh, Ken Island in North Carolina, thinking that Ken Island had played Decatur and Caroline back-to-back when that was not the case. They played Decatur, then they had a game against Bennett in which they won, and then after that, uh, then they uh, they lost to North Carolina in that uh, what twenty one to fourteen game where all the points were scored in the second quarter. So here last week, I'm talking about well, you know, they lost two straight for the first time since I think twenty eighteen. It was, and you know, if they uh, if they lose another, it'll be the first time they've lost three straight since seventeen. So something in that regard, all unnecessary. So I do apologize about that, and I usually do my best to trying to do my homework, but obviously I messed up that one, coach, and, and pretty big i also made mention that um queen anne's had last won in 2017 it was actually 2016 so i i just uh i, I screwed up the whole thing so my apologies <laughs> i don't think it's a big deal at all well i i appre- i appreciate you saying that but i do apologize so we do try to get things uh, accurately and you know when you put it out there you people are relying on you to do as such but uh let's get to though week number nine the uh and we're gonna go in um all over the place a little bit, but but let's start with the War on the Shore, the 15th annual. And Coach, uh, it, it is surprising, and we talked last week, though, how long it has been that Queen Anne's has won this game. And uh, in this one, Ken Island winning 30 to nothing. Now, this was a 14 to nothing game uh, at the half, so it was closer, but right out of the gate, Ken Island uh, jumping up on uh, Queen Anne's in this one. Yeah, it kind of had the feeling that it, was, that it might get out of hand early. Um, you know, with with Tucker Claxton returning the opening kickoff, I believe ninety yards for a touchdown, and then um, you know Queen Anne's going three and out on their first couple possessions, and Ken Island able to punch another one, and it was fourteen to nothing quickly. But then uh, Queen Anne's was able to settle down a little bit and um, and and get that Ken Island offense under control. As you take a look at this one, though, um, 
Queen Anne's, their defense held for the rest of the half after giving up that touchdown to Begardis. So you had the kickoff return for 90 yards, 7 to nothing, and then Queen Anne's ended up punting on their first offensive series. Ken Island on their first offensive series because that first score was special teams. They go right down the field, mostly on the legs of Begardis, and... I know Bogardis in one of those had a, a big chunk run as well. There was a pass to Price, to Lloyd Price, from Gavin Henry on a third and six, I believe it was, that kept the drive alive. But mostly Bogardis, he capped it off with an eight-yard touchdown run. And then uh, Ken Island was uh, forced to, to punt on their next couple of series there. But were you surprised that uh, Ken Island, though, had success running the football against Queen Anne's, given the fact that Queen Anne's defense, especially that line, is supposed to be their strength? I'm not really surprised when, when Ken Island rushes the football well. Um, you know, even in their two losses they had this this year, they rushed the football well. Then, you know, against North Carolina, they had a little problems. They had some problems finishing drives, but they were they were moving the ball up and down the field, and that's a very good North Carolina defense as well. And the, and the mm-hmm. same can be said when they played Stephen Decatur. So um, I don't think anybody should ever be surprised if Ken Island's running the football well. What did you see, though, from uh, Queen Anne's offensively? Obviously, no scoring in this one. Uh, what did you see from them? What did they uh, have issues with that prevented them from getting in the end zone? Well, Queen Anne's, the, the, the whole story was turnovers for them. Um, three turnovers, one inside the one-yard line going in, um, and one was they were they were approaching the red zone um, in the first half, and and just putting the football on the ground. And Ken Island really didn't capitalize on, on those turnovers, but they did. We're able to chunk out a few first downs and change the field position, which always gave, you know, always gave the Lions a long field. In terms of Queen Anne's, we know that uh, they also want to run the... Jameson, we like to do things differently. Well, that wasn't supposed to be in there. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) That's an ad that popped up on uh, one of the websites as I'm trying to go through and getting a bunch of different information here as we're going to pass along. But uh, Queen Anne's, we know they still want to run the football, but they also want to be more balanced. They also want to throw the ball. You had Lance Arnold make his, I believe, fourth start with Devin Wright continuing to be out with the rib injury. What did you see uh, from that pass? passing game or what didn't you see from that passing game um, there wasn't a, it wasn't a ton of passing going on I, I remember a few a few completions a few few bigger plays in the past game by Queen Anne's but I think they're kind of in the same boat that that Ken Island is and just at this point there's not a level of comfort that they have with the passing game so you know you you, you got to kind of rely on those those running backs I think Queen Anne's County um they're running back I think had a very good night, number 22. I can't remember the young man's name, but as a good power runner, but I don't think they're comfortable throwing it. And, uh, well, I was going to get to Ken Island on that for a second, but I think with Queen Anne's, they're still trying to evolve that passing game. And it may, you know, it, it's not going to all come together this year. And especially when you've changed quarterbacks almost midstream and you've got a young man who's getting his first experience at the varsity level. Uh, you've got a, a dynamic freshman, though. But as you've talked about, they're trying to watch how many snaps he gets because he is a freshman. He doesn't have the body size yet or the strength yet that uh, a senior would have. So you got to be careful there they're doing some things I guess in that passing game that's different from what they've done years past maybe putting more of an emphasis on it so it seems like that's going to be something that maybe next year at this time we're talking about and if things you know work out the way Queen Anne's hopes that next year at this time they'll have that balance and they'll have that equal threat pass to what they do in the run game yeah and I, I think they're very much a a work in progress still here as the as the regular season ended um 
you know, new coaching staff, new offense, probably new terminology. So it, it's going to take a little bit of time. With Queen Anne's running the ball, uh, John Conley got the the majority of the carries. What did you see out of him? What did you see out of that running game? I mean, it's the third time I've seen him live. I was I was fortunate enough to catch a few Queen Anne's games earlier, and um, you know he's a, he's a big bruising back. He he had one chunk run that I can remember and showed off a little bit of speed. Um, but his game his game is between the tackles, and he's he's deceptively elusive, kind of. Uh, up at the line, being able to to kind of slightly move his hips and 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 find those open creases up front, and he's a tough kid to bring down. Jadarian Thompson, how much did they get him involved in the game plan, or uh, was he not the threat that you thought he might be in this one? Oh no, he was. They they made attempts to get him the football in, in different kind of ways, uh, motioning him a lot of motion with him um, in the slot position because it's just harder to jam receivers when they're slots and you put them in motion. Um, you know, the jet sweep games, the bubble screen games, the stand up screen game. Um, but they are definitely making a concerted effort to get him the football in space. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to Ken Island for a second. And as you talked about, you're never surprised when they're able to run the football. Well, I, I thought though that they would have, uh, a little bit of an issue against Queen Anne's that they would be uh, kept down to some extent. Again, just knowing uh, the Queen Anne's front seven is a, a real strength of that team, but uh, they still, regardless, had a lot of success. But we've seen the passing game early on that was a very nice compliment to the run. Coach uh, Sofanowski said that they're making a concerted effort um, to be a team that can throw the football more, especially if need be, uh, given what happened in the championship game against Milford Mill last year. And again, I thought they afforded themselves well throwing the football, but that's not that they threw the ball more in that game than I think they did in in all the previous games added up together. So he has said that that's an area that they really wanted to to work on. And it it seemed like it was working out very well early in the season. And some of that, too, may have had to do uh, at times where they had some issues running the football as well, not just wanting to emphasize the pass more. But that passing game seems to have, uh, unfortunately, come to a, a screeching halt. And what's the level of concern going into the playoffs, though? I know that in this one, uh, Henry had uh, an interception that squandered good field position after uh, Queen Anne's on their fifth uh, fifth possession uh, ended up uh, having to, to, to punt the ball back to Kent Island. Yeah, I mean, it's... Or actually, it it's, may have been a fourth down play that they went for it, I think, actually. Yeah. Um, I believe you're right. Yeah. I believe you're right. It was a fourth down. Yeah, it was an incompletion um, to Jai Roy. And so Ken Ireland got a uh, good field position, but Henry threw a pick and it squandered it. Yeah, and it gets concerning into the playoffs. It, it's it's tough sledding when, when you're one-dimensional in the run game and, and people can really you know load up the box and, and scheme your run game away to a certain extent. Now, Ken Ireland in the past is – always like, this is what we're going to do. You can put as many people in that box as you want and still run the football. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as the as those playoff weeks start to go by, you're you're facing tougher and tougher teams, especially defensively, if you're, if you're getting deep in the playoffs. And it's it's a task. Yeah, that that's the thing that I, we know that Henry has an arm. We know he's athletic. We know he can run. We know he has from his lacrosse experience. He's got playoff and championship experience there, even though it's a different sport in lacrosse as compared to football. But he's made some comparisons there to say that, you know, it, it's it's a, and, and I think even Sofa said that it's it's similar. So 
he may he may have that going into the play, or he does have that going into the football playoffs uh, this coming Friday. But in terms of that passing game, though, uh, it, it's done a one eighty, and uh, an area that they thought that they had as an area of strength now is is teetering, and so they become, I would think, a lot more one dimensional coach, and you're going to be less. Uh, less apt to throw the football potentially than than you were, and again that that uh, that limits you. Now I know that's a team last year that rode the legs of Casey Heath all the way to the championship game. I get that. Can they do that again uh, amongst uh, a bevy of backs? Yeah, possibly, but it, it would be good to have that aspect of the game. But I've got to think Sofa is going to be a lot more guarded in calling those passing plays. I think, as you mentioned, yeah, and then you also have to keep in mind that. Um, so Ken Island has done it before. If you think back to last year, you know, they went 13 games without really throwing the ball and then aired it out with pretty good success. So if they get in a position where they have to throw it, um, we've seen the success this season. So, so it is, it is possible. And, you know, they're, they're in a good situation as far as that's concerned with knowing that, you know, you've done it in the past, you can make plays in the passing game, but, uh, you know, I guess you take you take the conservative route, especially playoff time. Um, you don't want to put yourself in a bad situation and put your defense out on the field if you're turning the ball over in the passing game. Yeah, surprising for Queen Anne's Jai Roy, who's going to the next level, and even the best of them can have a bad game. He had two of those fumbles. Rodney Smith, who I believe is a senior, had the other. So both seniors uh, combining for three turnovers, uh, a missed field goal that uh, Queen Anne's thought, even though it was long, that they'd be able to get. That came later in the game. That would have made a difference one way or the other. But uh, for Queen Anne's, just not not a night. And when you've got some of your top players having issues uh, offensively, that's uh, that's going to spell likely a long. Loss, and that's indeed what what happened in that one. And you, you feel like in a game like that, a coach you've, you've coached many games. You're never. I think it's just like with the Ravens last week against the Detroit Lions. You're never as good as uh, as you think, and you're never as bad as you think. Well, that's the case every week. Uh, you know, you lose a football game, you think you're the worst team in the world. Then you look at the film, you're like, ah, you know, it's it's really most of the times it's one or two things that you're doing that's the difference between winning and losing. So. um I think Queen Anne's should be able to host a playoff game so they have a chance to get back on track with a team that they've beaten before this this year, regardless of who it is, it's somebody they've beaten before. Yeah. So for Ken Island, Tucker Claxton, 90-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. Shane Begardis, an eight-yard touchdown run. Then uh, Mark said it was Nate Green because there's two Greens on the roster. I think you said another Green, but was it was it Nate Green that scored that touchdown? It, yes, Nathan Green's the running back. I right. think that um, I think Mark might have. And it said Seth Green. I think he did. Are you and you said Nate? Yeah, each of you said a different Green. So I was trying to confirm it, but yeah, Nate Green had the nine yard touchdown run. We're sorry to the Greens, but it, it gets confusing. Uh, that made it twenty one nothing. There was a safety that made it twenty three nothing, and then Jackson has had the other touchdown to make it thirty to nothing, and that is your final. Uh, so Queen Anne's uh, they'll move on, but again, surprising they haven't won this game since twenty sixteen. Granted, the two didn't play in twenty twenty one. That game was due to be uh, in Centerville, but as we talked last week the weather and uh, that year unfortunately prevented that from happening and uh, it, uh, it's it's they should have found a way to make it happen but I know you had made mention that it was the last game of the regular season so with playoffs it was tough to reschedule I guess we were hoping that you know they could have the game on a Thursday night or a Saturday afternoon but maybe with the ref shortages that wasn't that wasn't possible uh, in that one but they'll have to move on hey I know being a part of a long losing streak and a rivalry uh, with Calvert Hall Loyola uh, you know it was 11 straight 
I was a part of two of those. One of those losses was by five. The other was by 12. Um, but I was on the coaching staff that broke it, as I made mention on, on Friday night at Overtime Live. But that's tough. And uh, it's surprising with uh, these two teams that you would get a streak like that, Coach. But that's where we're at right now. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Like, it's not a thing, but it's in your head. <laughs> You know, like last year's result has nothing to do with this year's result or, you know, the 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 ones that are going to happen in the future. But yeah. it still creeps in your head a little bit. Yeah, no, it does after a while. By the way, one other note from this one. I was writing down, Coach, uh, here as you guys were talking about the game that Ken Island offensively uh, did a good job of tempo change and snap count change. Yes. Um. So so Ken Island, I mean, they're, they're always no huddle, but sometimes they're, they're no huddle. Like you're you're moving fast, but you're not in a hurry. So, you know, they get up there and get set. Um, but they changed tempo a few times and uh, and really got some momentum against that Queen Anne's defense. I want to go back uh, just briefly and uh, some things I should have brought up last week, and I apologize, in that Kent Island-North um, Carolina game that took place, Coach. And, you know, there were some opportunities, and you, you just made mention of it that, you know, uh, Kent Island, uh, even though they, they put up 30 points in the game, so offense wasn't an issue, but they've had times where even in their losses against Carolina and, and Decatur, they've moved the football, but they just weren't able to capitalize. And I was taking a look here, for instance, um, that there was a fourth down and long play on their second offensive drive. And actually, they didn't punt there. If you remember, they called a run. That was surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure why they decided to do that. But there was a, a holding on a completion to Tucker Claxton that ended up forcing a punt on what was a promising drive on Kent Island's third possession. Um, also on Kent Island's third offensive possession of the second half, Gavin Henry missed a wide-open receiver, which would have gone for a touchdown. And I think that would have tied the game pending, you know, or assuming the extra point would have been good. And then later in the series on a fourth and three, uh, North Carolina's Timmy Morris stuffed a run play, forcing a turnover on downs. So those were a couple of key uh, key points in that game that I, I apologize for not bringing up last week when you and I were talking about it. That, uh, again, the, one of those Kent Island losses, they, they were right there. And, again, the score bared that out anyway with a 21-14 uh, final. Oh, yeah, and and come playoff time, it's – it's those those kind of, if you don't if you don't capitalize when you're moving the football and you get into the red zone and have an opportunity to score, unfortunately it means the end of a season a whole lot of times. Well, that's right, and that's uh, now going into the playoffs. It's uh, it's it's do or die. There's no looking back and saying, "Well, we'll fix it for next week." You're listening to the Time Out with Shore Sports Podcast. Mike Bradley, the coach, Damian Ferragamo, Mark Potter out again this week. He'll be back with us next week, and we'll be taking over the point guard duties. But uh, this portion of the Time Out with Shore Sports Podcast is brought to you by the Edge Training Academy, where passion meets performance. Located in Stevensville at 112 Log Canoe Circle in the Chesapeake Bay Business Park. You could train there, play there, and give there. More info at theedge360.net. All right, let's get to some other games, Coach. Uh, North Carolina defeating Colonel Richardson 35 nothing at the old Superintendent's Cup. I still call it that, even though they're, I guess, technically or officially, they're not using that anymore. But uh, Corey Bunce and David Sadoff each return fumbles for touchdowns as the Bulldogs cap their regular season at 8-1. and one. North Carolina securing a two-seed in the 2A East region playoffs again 
We'll talk about that coming up. Zymir Smith had four carries for 23 yards and a touchdown. Caught two passes for 123 yards and one touchdown for the Bulldogs. Nasai Bell completed all five of his passes for 171 yards, including the score to Smith. Justice Hall added 57 yards rushing on seven carries, which included a touchdown. Had place kicker Austin Lynn five for five on point after kicks and that uh, info courtesy of Bill Halfie and the star Democrat uh, coach, you know, Colonel coming into the game, they had to play pretty much a mistake free game. And when you turn the ball over a couple of times and that ends up leading to uh, not a series to score, but that's a scoop and score. Uh, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. And it, the result of this game is, is no real big surprise. Um, we knew it was going to be an uphill battle for Colonel Richardson just to try to contain those athletes that that North Carolina has, and they're able to score from anywhere on the field. And, um, you know, they just, I mean, honestly, just have a much bigger roster than Colonel Richardson does. Yeah. And and Colonel and Coach Jackson's uh, lamented that it seems like anytime they play a 2A team uh, that, uh, and a good 2A team at that, like Ken Island, it's just they take a look at the name on the jersey and say, you know, this, you know, psychologically, we have no shot. And they have not been able to put their best foot forward in most cases against two A teams. Unfortunately, even though they've done a really good job of the one A, and it's an uphill battle anyway between roster size, between uh, the amount of talent that they have. Although you know, last year we talked about Colonel taking them right down to the end. That was a much more experienced team, but still, uh, Caroline had that game at home, and Caroline had a less experienced team. The tables have turned. Uh, but yeah, you got to play a near perfect game. They did not, and North Carolina took advantage of it. And coach. You know, we take a look at guys like Zymir Smith. He could run, but he can also catch out of the backfield. He could play wide receiver. You know, Nasai Bell can go to wide receiver, and they can bring in Bunce, the backup, and he could throw the football. So they've got interchangeable parts. So even though, again, running the football, that's their main um, operation in, in scoring, they've got some guys that if they need to get in space or they want to run a fly pattern, um, they can do that. So they give themselves a, a better shot of being able to score with these guys that can score both on the ground and in the air. And after that loss to Steven Decatur, it seems like they've, they've snatched momentum back in the season too. So, you know, everybody in Ridgely is probably feeling pretty good about themselves and believing that they can make a deep run. That was a big bounce back win for them against uh, Kent Island the week after they had to play Decatur. That was huge. And I know that game was at home. All the points scored in the second quarter, as we talked about last week. You give the, them a lot of credit, but they didn't have uh, too much time to sulk about it when uh, you had Ken Island coming in. But maybe that was the best thing that could happen for them. And then obviously very focused in this game, Coach. There was no looking ahead to the playoffs and 8-1. And, one. and you know, look, uh, I don't know if you've ever had in your coaching, uh, in your coaching career well, I guess you've had. I, I get actually, you are the perfect example for that because with you taking over for Coach Sofanowski at Kent Island, you know what it's like to have to fill big shoes. You know, talk about that for a second because Nick McMorris had to take uh, take over the program from James McCormick, uh, legendary head coach James McCormick, who uh, had a great career at North Carolina. That's not easy, and all McMorris does is go eight and one, and his lone loss was on the road to the number one team in the Bayside Conference and Stephen Decatur. Yeah, I've actually had it twice. So when I took over at Old Mill, I was took over for a coach, Mike Marcus, who um, is a great football coach. And they had made the playoffs like 10 years in a row back when it was really difficult to make the playoffs. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then taking over for Coach Sopanowski, same, you know, same kind of situation. Um, you know, it's important to, you know, you have respect for what is already in place and the traditions that are in place. 
Um, but it's also important to be your own person. You know, you can't take over and try to be the previous coach um, and do things that you believe in. And I think he's done that. Like you look at the offense, it's a wing tee, but they have, it's a shotgun wing tee. It really doesn't look like um, what we've seen in the past in North Carolina. And, um, you know, so he's putting his own stamp on it while still respecting the traditions of North Carolina football. No, you're absolutely right. And he said, look, I'm not looking to make drastic changes here. So, yes, they went shotgun with the wing T, but they didn't abandon the wing T. Uh, the defense is the same. And a lot of the uh, philosophies and, and ways of going about things are the same. He was a JV coach for, I think, five years and then the offensive coordinator last year. So you give him credit. And you're right. He's uh, he's his own guy. But at the same time, uh, he's uh, he's not looking to uh, just come in and change things for the uh, for the sake of changing things. And you give him a lot of credit because we all have at least a little bit of ego and we, we want to make it our program. But there's a way of doing it without upsetting the apple cart and uh, and and you know, ruining what is a program that doesn't need much in the way of changing. Yeah, so if they found a, found a formula that works for them um, in that community in that school, yeah. I think you'd be foolish to, to you know to to look for look for another answer when the answer is right in front of you. Yeah. And uh, he he also certainly had the benefit of a lot of guys coming back that got a lot of experience last year, and now they're making the most of it. And uh, congrats to Coach McMorris. Again, still plenty of uh, in, in what they're hoping games to come, so they don't want to uh, <laughs> they want to get ahead of themselves. Uh, they can look back and reflect on this season uh, down the line. This portion of the Time Out with Shore Sports podcast is brought to you by Midshore Exteriors, handling your roofing, siding, and gutter needs across the shore. Every detail matters, so let the Master Elite GAF certified and shingle master roofers take care of your home or business today. More info at midshoreexteriors.com. And in fact, uh, I had a neighbor a couple of houses down. I got home Friday uh, to eat, take a little nap uh, before overtime live, and Midshore Exteriors was there putting on a new roof. So there you go, and they've done work to my home, uh, to my roof as well done a a phenomenal job so uh, i certainly recommend them as well that's midshore exteriors all right coach let's get to some other games let's uh we'll go to the first two games that were played on thursday night again i know i'm hopping around a little bit uh but why comico and james m bennett uh the salisbury city championship uh as uh, james m bennett if they had won this game they would have won the sec but why comico Comes out the winner 21 to 7. And coach, uh, why high three touchdowns for them? And I say this with all due respect that's uh, 21 points is like 42 for them, the way that their offense has struggled this year. Oh, yeah. Able to, able to put the ball in the end zone. Um, and I was a little, a little surprised that Bennett wasn't able to score more, but we know they had the issue with um, their quarterback being suspended for this game, had to sit out. Yeah, Zakai Smullen uh, for taunting, I guess, twice against Easton a few uh, a few games ago, or excuse me, last week, a few times got tossed because you said, Coach, you have to get two of those in order to be um, tossed out, and then you're ineligible for the next game. That'll be a learning lesson. But it's interesting, though, Coach, because Coach Lasinski texted me after the game and said, lost 21-7, couldn't run the ball on them, got stopped, and when we had a first goal, uh, first and goal from the four, threw an interception, um, on third and goal from the nine. Um, don't think not having Zakai made a big difference. He said we got whipped by their D-line and linebackers. And then he said we also had a Miles Jarman 80-yard touchdown run called back with three minutes to go in the game that would have tied the game. Crackback block call by the refs. He said it was the he said it was the right call. Um, but uh, we know how good Y High is up front in that front seven. And uh, you know, they made obviously 
James M. Bennett uh, one-dimensional, although you know they've got Liam uh, Nelson who can throw the football because he's the backup quarterback, and he gets in at playing uh, at times where Smalling gets moved to wide receiver or the wing. So, um, you know, uh, why high, though? Again, they're able to score not once, not twice, three times. Jordan Heyman, three touchdowns. But that is a James M. Bennett defense that has been up and down this year. So I guess if there was a game where they might have, uh, for them, a scoring fest, it would be that. And then why high's defense came to play again, as they have most times this season. Yeah, why high's defense, I mean, the struggles they've had on offense have not, you know, they have not moved over to the other side of the ball. So they've been tough. Since you know, since the opening of the season on the defensive side, I asked Coach about this. Coach uh, Riley, actually, when we uh, broke down the Decatur Parkside game Friday night, I said, "Coach, I take it since no team won two games in that uh, series, the Salisbury City Championship." I said that I take it there's no champion. He said, "Correct." Other than the bragging rights of beating you know your rivals head to head, so you had Bennett beat Parkside, Parkside beat Wicomico. And Wicomico beat Bennett. So there's your results from the SEC uh, this year. Uh, and it's funny because, I mean, these schools, they're literally right down the street from one another, Parkside and Bennett, and then Y High's right around the corner. Oh, yeah. And it's it's a interesting dynamic in the conference to have in, in a conference where schools are so far apart to have three in such close proximity to each other. Yeah, they're the exception to the rule uh, with that. Now, let's just talk about Bennett for a second. They had the most wins this season with three that uh, they've had since 2018. So you take a look at the Bennett team and coming into this season looking for progress. You got that progress. You got that progress from them. And I'd have to go back. I think they still have a fair amount of guys coming back next season for them as well. Again, we still have playoffs to go, but Coach Lasinski has that program in the right direction. Now the big question next year is, can you take it now a step further? Again, that's a long way off, but you know, just uh, talking about that from a, a media perspective at this point. Yeah, I think um, you know, looking at this season, um, as it sits right now at the end of the regular season, you'd have to call it. I just pulled a Mike Bradley there and have a pop-up going on on my computer. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, <laughs> I was looking up Bennett's schedule right, as we were talking, and, and it popped up. But I think you'd, you'd have to look at it as a success to get three wins under their belt this year and had a, had a bunch of competitive games throughout the season. It's a, again, it's a step in the right direction and one that they, uh, they, they certainly need to make. They've languished. And actually, I should say, they match the three wins in 2019. So I'm sorry, they did have three wins in 2019. They were looking to have the most wins since 2018 if they had won that game. So just going back there, Bennett went three and seven. That was coach's. Uh, that was coach's final year. Coach Hugh Gibson's final year that unfortunately ended on a on a note that he would have rather have had been a little bit different after he had some really good seasons there for I think three years of 16, 17, 18 were were really good for Bennett. Um, so that matches 19. But now you know going forward and again that's a program where. At one point, they were a 3A, and that's a program that, you know, Parkside's had a lot of winning. I know that they've had a couple of rough seasons recently. Wicomico, outside of this season, they had gotten themselves on track. But you know, for the for the Bayside Conference to be strong, you really need two of those three Salisbury teams to be good. And this year, again, Bennett taking a step in the right direction, uh, not the kind of seasons of Parkside and Y High we're hoping for. No, not, not at all. Um and, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see if Bennett kind of distanced themselves, you know, if, if they're they're on the rise 
in, in that Salisbury City trio of football teams. But, um, you know, it's all about program building. So, you know, what they're hoping of is that this is a step in the ladder and not just, you know, we had we had some improvement and then kind of go back to where they were. So and that all step starts with student involvement, getting your rosters up and getting kids dedicated to the sport, um, not only in season, but out of season. And they did have a lot of kids come out. They had some healthy numbers for the Bennett program. So that's certainly uh, a really good sign. Uh, so th- that's uh, Wicomico and Bennett. Uh, Wicomico two and seven. Bennett three and six. Oh well, we didn't touch upon Why High and just uh, briefly on them. Again, we'll recap all these teams in the season in more detail uh, at the end of the year uh, with one of those podcasts. But with Why High, uh, you know, a disappointing season where they had gotten something going uh, over the last couple of years uh, under their former head coach and is Isaiah Taylor, uh, Coach McMurdo. Rough going this season. And again, defense has not been the issue. Offense has been and we knew that they were not going to be the explosive team in the air this season as uh, as they had been we thought though that they could have some explosion on the ground this year but we knew they were going to play more conservative and close to the vest and you know whatever changes have to be made or whatever happened there uh, they'll have an offseason to do it at this point though you are who you are but that said uh, you build a little momentum going into the playoffs with the uh, with the three scores that they had offensively yeah, like you said, 21 points probably felt like a whole lot of points for them because they've had you know such a difficult time um, getting into the end zone. So you know, with I'm sure they're hoping that that can springboard them into the first round of the playoffs. And um, I'm not sure, like you said, the points aren't aren't updated yet. But um, you know, they're probably going to be playing the number two, possibly the number three seed in the in the region. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to that coming up. And the other game on Thursday night, Coach, we had uh, Washington getting blanked by Nandua, 33 to nothing. Uh, Washington finishing the regular season at 0-8, Nandua, I think 4-5, and but that's an Eastern Shore Virginia team outside of the conference. And uh, Washington, uh, you know, not the season that you would look at and say, oh, and eight, well, that was another bad season. But for those of you that have been following Washington as we've been chronicling it, um, you're not going to see the progress in the program uh, based on the win-loss record. However, uh, they have made a lot of progress this year, and one of the things is playing in all the games this season. They forfeited three games last year. I think one of those was a playoff game against Colonel Richardson where they literally just hours before the game ended up forfeiting, and and that could cause a lot of issue and also a lot of disappointment, if anything, for the fans who are looking forward to seeing a home playoff game like that. And for the players, you you don't have that game, so now you've got a week in between your next game that you haven't played, so you get possibly a little rusty, and it just puts everything into a tizzy. But Washington... That was one of the first things head coach Alec Menser said was that we want to play all our games. And head coach, last year, you literally had some kids that that quit during games, literally quit during games on Washington. It was very, very uh, difficult situation, a bad situation there uh, last season, uh, but it has been rectified. And you got to give Coach Menser and his staff a lot of credit. Uh, the, the players uh, have hung in there. They bought in. And, you know, Coach Menser said, I'm not, he said, I'm not a screamer. I'm not a yeller. But he said, I will if I have to. And he said, uh, very early on at one of the weightlifting sessions, I chewed out a guy. And one of the seniors came to the coach and said, you know, that's nobody's done that before. No one's, essentially, no one's held us uh, accountable the way that you are. And, um, you know, I, I, I got to look at this season as a, as a success for Washington because I was at the point last year where I was thinking maybe 
you know, Washington High School needs to give up on this fo- football thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they, they ha- hardly had any players. They're forfeiting games during the season, which isn't fair to the opponent, much less your own kids. Right. Um, so I, I thought that they were they could possibly fold their entire program. So um, a step in the right direction uh, this year, to say the least. Yeah. And he talked about, too, he's like, I've, yeah, I've kicked a few uh, players off the practice field as well. I've done what I've had to do. And but the players, to their credit, again, they uh, they bought in and they understand they're getting coached and uh, they're going to be held to a much higher standard than they have been before. So, you know, things are headed in the right direction there. And that's that's certainly good to see, because, again, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And Washington has been the weakest link of the conference uh, for a while now. If they can get their program up and, and, and anywhere close to say what Colonel's done, then you know, you're looking good. And, and you look at, and we'll talk about Snow Hill in a second, but the same thing with Snow Hill, who's languished for a while. Not this season, though. Boy, if those two programs can get things turned around, Coach, uh, again, uh, that, that just makes it better for the entire conference. Exactly. It, it definitely makes it better for the entire conference. And, um, you know, th- those those big blowout wins that you get sometimes when you have a, a 2A, a bigger school versus a smaller school, those aren't good for either team, the, the team that's winning or losing, um, to have too many of those in your season. Yeah, no, I, I certainly uh, I certainly agree with that. All right, uh, let's move on uh, to some other games from Friday night here. As you're listening to the Time Out with Shore Sports Podcast, Mike Bradley, the coach, Damian Ferragamo, Mark Potter off again this week. He'll be back next week. This portion of the Time Out with Shore Sports Podcast is brought to you by For All Seasons Behavioral Health and Rape Crisis Center, providing outpatient mental health, psychiatric education, and rape crisis services to the English and Spanish-speaking communities, regardless of one's ability to pay. More info at For All Seasons, Inc., Dot org. So, Coach, well, I just mentioned Snow Hill. Why don't we uh, Why don't we uh, delve into that game just quickly? And I, I tried to get uh, Coach uh, Summerfield on the other night from Kent, but uh, was unable to do so. But we did talk with Coach Hammond from Snow Hill. They win 47-6, and uh, Shipley, their quarterback, had five touchdown passes in the game, and uh, Colick had four interceptions. Colick's their Mr. Everything. He He's played quarterback in previous years. He plays all over the place uh, wherever they need him to. Uh, those are some big-time stats and quite a way to, to wrap up the regular season. And for Snow Hill, I mean, Coach, that's, that's five wins for uh, for Snow Hill, and uh, that's a far cry from where they've been in most seasons over the last decade. And we might have to check the MPSSA record book because four interceptions in a game, I got to think, has to at least tie a record. That's a ton of interceptions. Yeah, no, it, it very well may. That's a season. Yeah, yeah, and, I, I, and I'm going back now to get a look as to the five wins this season for Snow Hill. So in 2012, Snow Hill had six wins, um, and I think that after that, that was when things started to go downhill. Yeah, because in 13, you had a 1-9 season. I went through this on uh, on Friday night. In 13, they were 1-9. In 14, they were 2-8. and eight. In 15, they were 0-10. In 16, they were 0-10. In 17, they were 1-9. So you get the point. So they've languished for over a decade. That's the most wins since 2012, going five and four. And I got to take a look last year, Coach. I think they had two or three wins last year. Yeah, they went three and eight last year. So two more wins than this year. And you look at their losses. I think the only bad loss they had was to Northampton from the Eastern Shore of Virginia. Their losses were to Decatur, 
Colonel Richardson, Cambridge, South Dorchester. Nothing to hang your ha- head about, and and those are better teams. Uh, period. And uh, you know, but Snow Hill, that's a great step, a great step for them this year, a huge step for them. Yeah, and ho- hopefully it continues. Um, and it, it's a sign for you know some of those one A teams that are that are kind of in the basement right now. That there's examples that are right within our conference that have started to grow that program yeah and coach Hammond said look I, I know we've got to get in that weight room for the linemen and we've really got to get bigger and stronger he said that's the bottom line that's the area where uh we're, we're hurting right now we've got the skill guys now he had a lot of guys come back this year I think he does graduate quite a bit of talent from this year's team but he sounds confident that uh, next year that they're going to have enough back and and guys from um, you know the program stepping up, uh, but but getting the, those linemen uh, into a, into a bigger, faster, or I should say, bigger and stronger mold to be able to compete with Colonel Richardson, to be able to compete with Cambridge and some of these other programs. But that's good to see. Coach Hammond was there during uh, part of Snow Hill's heyday when Coach you know Snow Hill and Cambridge they were secondary rivals, but Snow Hill made the playoffs almost every year, and there were years where Snow Hill, the 1A, was beating or competing with Stephen Decatur, who was a 3A. Oh, yeah, Snow Hill. I mean, they were recently, when recently, to my recently and other people's recently might yeah. not be the same. They're <laughs> recently true. in a state championship game. <laughs> um, you know, I remember, I remember, you know, listening to her on the radio, one of my guys I went to, went to college was with coaching, I believe when Ben Tate was there, they went to the state championship game. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, they have a very rich tradition there, and it's it's good to see him starting to put that back in place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the other games for Friday night, and, and we're saving uh, the the game that we're going to talk about coming up for a second. Uh, but Stephen Decatur and Parkside. Uh, Stephen Decatur wins this game fifty to fourteen. Hand it to Parkside though. Early on in this one, uh, they were they were competing with Stephen Decatur, and they were running the football right down the field on them. It was twenty two to fourteen at one point, but then Stephen Decatur pulled away. Uh, Cameron Mapp had uh, two of the, or I'm sorry, James Mapp had both touchdown runs for the uh, for the Rams. For Stephen Decatur, though, senior night in Berlin, and Bryson Coleman, the son of head coach Jake Coleman, he accounted for six scores, four touchdown passes, and two runs. You can't do it much better than that on senior night. And obviously, you know, coach and his wife have to be extremely proud of that performance and of, of the career that he's had. And, you know, it's not finished yet, but going to Vanderbilt next year. But, boy, what a way to cap off uh, your senior year regular season. Yeah, I was talking to Jake about that, too. And I was, like, it's obvious that, that he gets his intelligence from his mother going, to, <laughs> uh, going down to Vanderbilt. Um, but, yeah, like they, they, bad football players don't get, don't get to go to SEC schools. So you know exactly how, how good he is just with, uh, you know, with that alone. But you know, one of the one of the best dual threat quarterbacks we've seen. Absolutely, I mean he's he's going to go down as as one of the best quarterbacks in Bayside history, and with the stats as well. And you know, Ashton Snellsire, who's now at Richmond, had uh, himself quite a career at Decatur. And Bryson's come in and picked up and, and taken things to the next level with the Steven Decatur uh, offense, which, you know, last year really hit full stride later in the season. And then that manifested itself in the playoffs. And this season, uh, the offense has, has gotten uh, gotten off to, or I should say that the offense got off, I think, to a faster start. And uh, they're certainly hitting on all gears and they're tough to they're tough to 
to defend. I mean, I, and I really do think I want to get your take on this because I was exchanging some messages with one of their assistants the other day in talking some football. I really think that during these uh, OTAs now that the Maryland State uh, Public Schools are allowing of these programs, uh, and we talked about that on previous podcasts uh, where you know, teams are using it either right before um, you know summer practice or they're doing it uh, right before kids go on, on summer break. You know, and and using them to install offenses and defenses so that they're, um, you know, hitting the ground running, uh, starting summer camp much quicker than they would have been in previous years. But I really think there are teams now they're going to need to devote, I think, some practices to okay, how do we at least contain this Decatur offense going forward? Don't you think? Because nobody else runs a passing offense like they do in this conference right now. No, not right now, especially since Easton had their their quarterback struggles with um. With injuries yeah, this Easton, year, you're, you're right. Easton would be, yeah, you're right. Easton would be close, that, and and they and last year. So yeah, you're right about that. I, I shouldn't have excluded them, but but outside of Easton, no one else runs uh, a passing game like Decatur. And, and and it's a very efficient passing game, and it has all the aspects of it. So they have the vertical passing game, they can go downfield, but they have those those screen, the screen games, those those really extension of the of a run game, and it it forces you to cover a lot of ground on defense. And, you know, we always talked about how, you know, Stephen Decatur doesn't run the ball, but they showed they can run the ball if they want mm-hmm. to, or if they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw that against Ken Island. Yeah, we certainly, we certainly did. But uh, uh, again, I don't know what you think, but if I'm a coach at another school, uh, I'm taking some time to, to vote to how do we, how do we minimize this air raid and what they do? I, I really, I really think you got to do that if you're looking to knock off the best. Um, and look, they're not going anywhere. I know Coleman graduates next year; that'll be a huge loss. But Snellsire was a huge loss, and Coleman stepped in. You know, they've got another quarterback who's a backup for them that they feel good about, and uh, you know they're going to keep doing what they do. So I think the, the rest of the conference is going to have to play catch up or you know endure more L's. And I, uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see you know uh, what teams what teams do. You know, going forward, you know, obviously Ken Island has had uh, you know one last year uh, against Decatur in the last couple of years, but this year they did not. I mean, that was an eighteen point loss, so just something to uh, something to consider. Uh, but and you can you, know. you can scheme it up all you want, but if they have six guys, those six skill positions that are out there, if they're all legitimate players. You can scheme all day. It's it's going to be tough. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's fair. So touchdown pass to uh, Salido, touchdown pass to Baker. Baker, by the way. What a great route. I mean, it, 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 a basic route, but, I mean, he ran hard, stemming the corner, selling a fly pattern or a go, and then he made one cut to the inside, very crisp, and he was off to the races on a, on a pass to him for the touchdown there. Uh, also, there was a touchdown pass to Ethan Bradshaw. And Tribe Wise, you know, got the, the one foot in corner, uh, right corner of the end zone there uh, towards the end that capped off the scoring at 50 to 14. So uh, impressive, impressive. And uh, Ethan Bradshaw, if I didn't mention, he had the other, he had the other touchdown reception. And then uh, Bryson had two rushing touchdowns. We mentioned Matt for Parkside. And, you know, Parkside, they're, the, the guy that was supposed to be their starting quarterback never ended up playing a game for them. Then they had to put Map in there and do the best they could do. Then they brought up their JV quarterback to start some games. He got hurt two weeks ago, so they had to put Matt back in there. They're doing the best that they can, but it's it's a season where they've had a lot of issues to deal with, and hopefully next year they won't have those obstacles and they can they can get back on track because you know this is again a Parkside program that has been uh, very consistent in the South, but they've hit some hard times over the last couple of years. 
And sometimes it just happens that way. You know, it's, it's like when it rains, it pours, you get a little adversity and then it just starts snowballing on you. And it's one thing after another. And I think that's what Parkside's finding themselves in this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's uh, talk about the final game that we found out on Saturday night is not going to be ruled uh, a win a win or a loss for either team. It's a no contest, and that is Easton and Cambridge South Dorchester. Uh, the battle of the chop tank, the, the crab bowl, whatever you want to call it. By the way, again, this was rivalry week. I, I should have mentioned that at the beginning. Uh, it was rivalry week uh, coming in, week number nine, and most rival games were taking place. Now, they changed things up because Stephen Decatur Snow Hill's been one-sided. Even though the two of them play, they played, I think, week three of this season. So they're still rivals, but for purposes of week nine and overall rivalry week, they changed it where Stephen Decatur and Parkside are playing in week nine. Snow Hill is playing Kent County. Washington played Nandua, and, and you know, with the odd number of teams, that's not really a rival for them, and they're kind of left out, unfortunately. Um, so we'll see, you know, how these develop going forward with Decatur and Parkside, Snow Hill, and Kent County. But that was uh, that was a change there. But Easton Cambridge, that's one of the traditional uh, final week of the regular season uh, matchups there. And in this one, Cambridge South Dorchester had a thirteen to nothing lead when the game was called with six fifty five left in the third quarter because of a number of fan skirmishes. Now Mark Potter was told thirty, um, but reading Bill Hoffey's uh, story in the Star Democrat coach, they said an altercation uh, happened around 8 p.m. in the stadium away from the playing field. Fans were instructed to leave the stadium by school administrators and local law enforcement officers while the respective uh, coaching staffs led their teams off the field. Easton Athletic Director uh, Carisha Hoffman said at a text Saturday night that the schools agreed to rule the game a no contest, meaning it doesn't count for either team. So Easton finishes at 1-7. and seven. Cambridge finishes at... Um, six and two and you know coach it just it's disappointing because these kids work so hard during the week and the coaches work so hard during the week and throughout the course of the year this was senior night for Easton this was a an opportunity to celebrate and recognize their hard work and and then there's the game on the field and for the Cambridge players as well you know this is it, it just it's so disappointing the people that did that are selfish and they owe a major uh, a major apology to both teams, and they should never be allowed in a Bayside Conference stadium again. And it's becoming all too common. Um, I believe we had this last year in the conference with basketball. W- wasn't there a game that? Yeah, Ken that Island, Ken have? Island, Ken Island, and uh, uh, Y High. Yeah, I thought there was another game where like fan, like no fans were allowed in. Uh, th- there, yes, uh, th- you're right. There were some games with that because there was. Uh, was it Cambridge and North Carolina? I think that that there was believe, an issue yeah. after the game. Somebody came on the bus of one of the two teams, and yeah, the, the, yes, there have been there have been issues, and there have been games right where it's been limited to just a few parents uh, and, and and administrators, and and that's it. Um, and, and it hurts the kids, and, and and then it shuts out the outside public. And if more of this happens, there will be limitations to who can show up at these games going forward. And you don't want that to be the case. You want pack stands. You want to great crowd for these games and the more this happens the more that's not going to be the case yeah and and listen the the only blame goes on the people who are who are causing this these disruptions because the administration that is at that game they've got to do what's what's best for that situation yeah so you know if if there was a dangerous situation i mean their their hands are kind of tied so there's 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 only the only people to blame are the people who, who were involved in that um that nonsense 
Coach Griffith was quoted as saying, I think it's the right decision based off where we were in the game and the score. He said there isn't a precedent or ruling for a game to be called because of there's things that, if it's weather, there's things if it's issues with players and the coaches, but nothing from like what we saw last night, uh, referring to Friday night. Uh, Hoffman said Friday night she could not comment on the incident. Easton took the game's opening drive and moved from its 30-yard line to the Vikings' 25, where Warrior quarterback Dustin Blue fumbled. Cambridge South Dorchester recovered on its 45, and on its first play from scrimmage, senior quarterback Blake LaBelle swept uh, swept left, then cut back across the field for a 55-yard touchdown run and a 6-0 lead with 6-17 left in the first quarter. Uh, Cambridge missed the extra point. The Warriors pieced together yet another sustained drive on their second possession, marching from their 19 to the Cambridge 26, but on third and 15, uh, Vikings DB William Jackson made a leaping interception, returned the ball to the Cambridge South Dorchester um, uh, to uh, came excuse me return the ball to Cambridge on its twenty. Um, you had LaBelle completing five passes as he guided the Vikings to East and five or on first and goal. Uh, Kayon Marine carried the final five yards for a touchdown at a twelve nothing Cambridge South Dorchester lead with under six minutes left in the half. The extra point made it thirteen nothing. The remainder of the first half was scoreless. Cambridge took the opening kickoff of the second half, moved from its thirty five to East and thirty three, but the drive ended there as the Warriors Colin Mooney stripped the ball from Marine. Mixing run and short passes, Easton went from its 19 to the Viking 38, where the game was halted. So clearly, you know, this was not a done deal with Cambridge leading 13 nothing. I think that's the point. So it seems like the right decision was made there, not to call the game uh, one way or the other. Yeah, and I, listen, I, I know it's disappointing. I mean, it's disappointing for Cambridge, and it's disappointing for for Easton. Um, it takes a little sting away that. that that teams go into the playoffs because can you imagine if this like if a team had to win that football game to get into the playoffs and it's, and it's ruled a no contest? Yeah, I mean that would be that would be devastating. But um, like I said, I, I don't I've never heard of a game getting stopped in this manner. So the no contest seems like it, you know seems like it was a a good compromise. Yeah, so that's where things are. Um, Easton at, at one and seven. We've talked uh, greatly about their situation with uh, mixing new guys in on the offensive line, trying to get something going there, not being happy with the way uh, that the line played early in the season. You lose your starting quarterback after the first two weeks, I believe it was, and, and Mikey O'Connor and uh, switching guys around. And, and they had youth coming into this season anywhere. Seven sophomores were starting uh, for them uh, in the lineup. So it's been a rough year, but it looks like they're starting to make progress. Coach talked about that they, they have improved over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, they were moving the ball in Cambridge there. Uh, should have had at least one score, if not a couple there for them. Uh, Cambridge, uh, you know, offensively, having some success in that game uh, themselves, but you know, defensively, certainly uh, you know, bending in that game, if not, uh, yeah, bending but not breaking. That is, I thought that game would be a closer game than what people thought. I picked Cambridge to win. I still think they would have, although I can't say that definitively with the way it was going. Uh, but Easton uh, making some improvements here, and certainly what has transpired this year for them is only going to make them a lot stronger for next year. And next year, uh, presumably O'Connor will be back at quarterback. Maybe they'll have somebody else uh, in the mix as well. And they'll be much better for going through these growing pains this year and next year. I would think that they'll be much improved. And and probably going to next year, they'll have you know more of a contingency plan for losing their quarterback. I, that, that's rough, but um, yeah, I mean when you start those many that many young players, you you know you you're expecting them to show that dedication to the offseason, get in the weight room, change their bodies a little bit, and all that 
experience that you gain this season pay yeah. dividends next season and and beyond yeah for cambridge uh, they've really had an outstanding year and it's disappointing they didn't have a chance to to get win number seven uh, on the season if that's how it would have turned out but blake labelle and coach we talk about bryson coleman but in terms of uh, passers in this conference Blake LaBelle has to be considered right up there behind Coleman. I know you've got Gavin Henry, but he struggled, as we've talked about earlier. He struggled in the second half of the year, although he's certainly capable of throwing a good football, and we've seen that earlier in the year from him. But Blake LaBelle, he's put on a show this year, especially over the last several weeks. And really, with Cambridge, they've got so many weapons to go to that you know now they have a quarterback this year that can get it to him. And LaBelle was an Easton transfer. Easton certainly could have used him this year, assuming that he didn't win the job from the get-go, they could certainly have used him, but LaBelle has really helped Cambridge out. And Coach Pierre felt good coming into this year, and it's all coming together. It took longer than what he uh, had hoped for. And again, that first year, you know, what 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 can you expect? I mean, he took the job with like a you know less than a week before the start of summer camp, and there's some adjustment from you know getting in from an outsider coming into this program and a staff that didn't have any ties to the Bayside or anything like that. But year three, man, it's paying off. And Blake LaBelle, I don't Blake LaBelle, um, I don't think there's any question that that um Bryson Coleman would be considered the top quarterback in the conference, but Blake's right there. I mean, I he he's number two, and I don't think and I think number three is very distant. Yeah. No, I, I would agree with you on that. I'd agree with you on that. So uh, Cambridge is certainly a team to look out for in the playoffs. And let's let's talk about playoffs. We'll do that in a second. By the way, one other note, um, going back to Decatur for a second, they finished the regular season nine and oh. Never happened in program history before. Now, of course, you know, traditionally uh, over the years there's been a ten game regular season. That changed a few years ago, but nine and oh. Now, one of those wins was a forfeit win to Queen Anne's. Uh, in week one. So as Coach Coleman said you know, two weeks ago to me, the 8-0 is not really 8-0 until we you know, win that next game if we do against Parkside, which they did. So officially 9-0, but on the field 8-0, and the program's never done that before either. So uh, quite a season, quite a season for uh, Decatur and the program history there. But we've talked about a number of programs who, uh, like a Snow Hill, uh, the, the most wins since the 2012 team, um, you know, making, making strides. And, and Cambridge, uh, a nice season for them. All right, we'll uh, come back on the other side to uh, talk about the Maryland State playoffs and uh, the matchups will do that right on the other side of uh, this announcement here from our friends at Queenstown Bank. One of the sponsors of the Time Out with Shore Sports podcast, Queenstown Bank is your community bank on the Eastern Shore with nine branches across four counties. They're conveniently located in or near your hometown. Stop in at any of their branches or give them a call at 410-827-8881. Queenstown Bank, your local, make that your official hometown bank. They are your local hometown bank as well. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. So coach, let's get to the playoff matchups. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, and I refreshed uh, the uh, the website as much as I could, and yet we still don't have the week nine standings uh, with the points. However, I referenced that Bill Hoffey article uh, in the Star Democrat for the Cambridge and Easton game and also the North Carolina Carter Richardson game, and they put in there, they mentioned the matchups for the team, so uh, they had a good idea about things because the question with the fact that Easton and Cambridge only had eight games uh, played, how does that affect the points? Well, in this story, it does not affect things. So let's get to it in the 2A East. And this is, as we're doing this uh, podcast on Sunday afternoon, um, this is 
unofficial only because we don't have the official points and spreadsheet in front of us from the state, but it's about as official as you can get. And we do have one other news outlet that essentially confirmed it here. But Stephen Decatur, the one seed, the 2A East at 9-0, will host Easton, the 8th seed, at 1-7. Coach, just uh, your uh, your thoughts on that matchup. It's going to be really tough for uh, it's going to be really tough for Easton. Um, yeah. You know, anytime you're an eight seed, and and these one eight games over the state since they've been doing this have not been not been good <laughs> to say the least. Yep. Um, yeah. Usually ends up in a very lopsided score. Um, and I mean, Stephen Decatur is rolling. They are. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Stephen Decatur is going to be a heavy favorite in this one for Easton. There again, they're just looking at this point to have some success where they can find it and use that as a springboard uh, in the last several weeks as a springboard for next season. But uh, that is going to be a tough road to road to hoe in Berlin on Friday night. Next up, North Carolina, the two seed, will be taking on the seventh seed, Wicomico. And coach, North Carolina had no favors done to them for being the two seed here. That's a team that played North Carolina to a, a 14 nothing loss. And and one of those scores, or actually it was 14 to 7, excuse me. Um, yeah, because Why High scored late in that game, excuse me, and, and had a chance to tie the game. Uh, so we know, and we talked about Why High's defense. So North Carolina, they get that game at home. So that'll be the difference. And uh, Caroline has certainly improved and is playing better and has won several more games and, and a big one against Kent Island since then. But still, uh, if there's a, a matchup there that you're looking at, well, it could be tight, uh, maybe even an upset if somebody's willing to go that far, but that would be the matchup. I'm not going to call an upset, but I say we need to be on upset alert uh, for this game because mm-hmm. I, I watched that game with Y High versus North Carolina. If I remember correctly, it was a lot of Y High beating Y High um, with, with pre and post snap penalties, putting themselves in a bad position. So, you know, a, a one score football game. Um, previously, so Y High is going to come in knowing knowing that the task isn't impossible, and um, you know North North Carolina better not be looking forward to the next to the next round. Yeah, and I don't think they will. I, I think if anything, they certainly know how tough that game was earlier in the season. So I don't think they'll be overlooking Y High at all. Uh, but that uh, that'll be a tough matchup uh, with uh, North Carolina's run offense against their run defense. And will North Carolina uh, end up throwing the football a little bit more? Will they get Smith out into the flats or out into some routes? Uh, how will they do that? Will they uh, put Bell at wide receiver some and have Bunts come in and throw to him and to Smith? We'll have to see. Of course, you've got Weber back there as. Uh, one of your backs as well, uh, so that'll be uh, that'll be a tough matchup there. But conversely, though, the question is, how does Y High score against North Carolina? Um, you know, it starts first as you talked about with uh, cutting out the self-inflicted wounds. All right, next up, and, and this is where I guess, Coach, we, we, we're not we're not sure uh, exactly because they haven't updated that spreadsheet on the website when, as we're doing this. But Kent Island, the third seed, coming off the big win over Queen Anne's and the war on the shore. Queen Anne's is either going to play Bennett or Parkside. We'll just have to see because Bennett had a one-point lead over Parkside going into the Week 9 games. Parkside lost, so did Bennett. So it's up to those bonus points, right, as to who mm-hmm. ends up having the better seed of the two. Yeah, it comes it comes, comes down, and I'm telling you, trying trying to figure out figure it out is a tough task because um, you're following nine different teams on your schedule. And uh, so, 
you know, non-common opponents winning or losing would, would really impact that. Ken Island of Parkside played at the beginning of the year. Coach, that was, I believe, a, what, a 43-20 to 20 game. I think you were, you were at or watched that game. Yeah, I watched the game, and, and I was actually I, – I came away from it pretty impressed with with Parkside and what they were doing. Um, the sport, the score got a little out of hand at the end, but it, it was a ball game throughout. So, um, you know, a rematch, but a rematch from a week one game. I mean, these all these teams are completely different teams yep, after a, a full season. Yeah, 43-20 to 20 was the final in that one. Um, so taking a look here, we don't know. Now, Ken Island, uh, they beat Bennett – uh, sixty-three to thirty-four. I think that game was. There were no points scored in the fourth quarter. In the third quarter, Bennett scored twenty points. One of those was on special teams. At the half, though, I think the game was what forty-eight to fourteen. So the game was settled. That was in Kent Island. So they they beat both teams. They scored a lot of points against them. They'll be favored against either one. Now that also leaves though. Who does Queen Anne's play? Do they play Parkside or do they play Bennett? And uh, Queen Anne's, in taking a look at their schedule, Coach, uh, Queen Anne's, I believe, did play both of those teams. And Mm -hmm. we know that uh, they defeated uh, Parkside. I just want to make sure I get my stats right here. Off the top of my head, I think they beat Parkside 17 to nothing. Um, They did. So they beat Parkside 17 to nothing uh, back on October the 19th. Uh, They squandered some opportunities there to score, uh, Coach uh, Mooney told me. Uh, They beat Bennett 16 to nothing earlier in the season. So that was one of the games where Bennett's defense actually played better. But again, I think as Coach Mooney talked about, Part of the reason they've had issues this year in those games is that they just haven't finished. Um, they just haven't been able to finish drives where they were getting something going in both of those games, but they weren't able to finish. So uh, you expected them to score more, but they didn't. They didn't. They still got the wins, though, in both of them. Yeah, and um, you know, if they weren't finishing, they didn't really finish Friday night on a lot of their drives, so it's it's a recurring theme, so you, you just yeah. can't automatically count on those points happening because they haven't happened in the past. Yeah, And remember, um, Parkside won a playoff game last year, uh, and I'm trying to remember uh-huh. who they beat. Did they beat Falston, I think it was? Um, and, and they Falston had a, or Hartford Tech? Yeah, and they had a big rushing game, a big rushing game last year. So look, if Parkside's playing at their very best and running the football and running it well uh, and, and eating up clock – you know, they're now they struggled mightily against Decatur's passing game, but Queen Anne's doesn't have the passing game that uh, that Decatur has. I think they want to get there at some point uh, or some semblance of that, but they're not there yet. Uh, so it, it, that could be interesting if that's the matchup. Um, and, and again, Bennett Bennett's defense is all over the place, so you just don't know. You know, they're up and down, so you don't know what you're going to get against Queen Anne's. But in either case, I think for the Lions, especially coming off a rough loss, whoever they play between the two of them, uh, that's not th- those those matchups are not going to be necessarily automatics for them by far. No, it's not automatic, but you know, I think Queen Anne's has deserved the uh, you know the right to be considered the favorite in those games. Yes, I agree. Um, I agree. They, they they just they like I said they have to find a way to to not turn the football over and and get points when you have when you have those good offensive drives. Yeah. Yep. So we'll we'll see uh, who they match up against and then ultimately how they do. So they beat Falston last year, twenty seven twenty four. Uh, Parkside, that is, they lost to Hartford Tech thirty to thirteen. So they didn't. They did have some. Uh, uh, success there last year so those are the matchups or the potential matchups since we don't know exactly uh between bennett and parkside who comes out 
with the with the better seed of the two there. Now, uh, we'll get to the 1A's here in just a second. Before we do that, though, uh, this portion of the Time Out with Shore Sports podcast brought to you by Pret Moy Therapy Associates, located at 460 Main Street in Stevensville. Let Rick Perrette and the staff get you back to feeling new again, accepting most insurance policies. So step away from the pain by calling Pret Moy Therapy Associates at 410-604-2982. All right, so coach, now we're into the 1A East matchups in the playoffs for uh, this coming Friday night. And let me uh, bring up the 1As here. Okay, so with the 1A East, and this is where there is some ambiguity because of the eight games that Cambridge South Dorchester uh, officially played. We talked about the ninth game uh, of being a no contest between them and Easton. So I know... Um, that Perryville came in with a slight advantage with the points average, although they had six more than Cambridge South Dorchester. Uh, I've got to check here to see how Perryville did. Maybe you already know. Uh, but Cam- they won. Okay, so Perryville won. So chances are Cambridge that they're going to be the two seed then. Uh, Bow Manor. <laughs> Bow Manor lost on Friday night. Uh, if uh, Bow Manor lost, so they um, they cannot leapfrog Cambridge South Dorchester. And I think Bow Manor was in that that three spot, whether they won or lost um, because Pro- of Carl prob- Richardson's loss. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah, well, that, yes, that, but in terms of leap, uh, leapfrog in Cambridge, South Dorchester, even with a win, they, they probably uh-huh. wouldn't have uh, leapfrogged them to the second seed. Um, with Colonel Richardson and Snow Hill, right, Snow Hill had the win the other night. Colonel did not. So, again, we don't have this in front of us, but it's Snow Hill should be the four seed and Colonel the five seed. So, Perryville, yeah. so there's only seven teams in the 1A East, which means that Perryville will get a bye, correct? That is correct, yeah. So, they'll get a bye. So, the two seed Cambridge, South Dorchester, will end up taking on Washington at home, and they'll be heavily favored in that one. Oh yeah, um, I, I think Cambridge is a very dangerous team in the playoffs. Um, not just not just for this region, and um, you know we we've talked about Washington's struggles and and what their season is looking like and what success looks like to them. Yeah. Uh, next up would be Kent County traveling to uh, Bow Manor, and did they not play Bow Manor Week One? I think they did. I believe they did, and I believe that Bow Manor handled them pretty. Pretty easily. Yeah, they did. In fact, uh, that game was in Wharton. They were hoping to get some play, uh, excuse me, payback uh, on uh, on Bow Matter from last season's loss. But yes, uh, so the two matched up. Uh, Bow Matter won that game forty-two to six. Now, obviously, there's a lot of games in between now and then, but Bow Matter will certainly be favored in that one. And Kent County coming off uh, a blowout loss to Snow Hill on uh, on Friday night. It's been a, another tough season for them, uh, starting a freshman quarterback. And I've not had a chance to catch up uh, with Coach to be able to talk with him in a while, unfortunately. So I haven't really gotten a good idea of what's going on with the Trojans program. But Bow Matter will be favored. And then that leaves Snow Hill hosting Colonel Richardson. And I, Coach, I don't know the last time I've got. I've got to go back on this one as well. It's been a long time since Snow Hill. We mentioned the most wins since the 2012 team that won. I think six that year. We made mention of. Well, I, I couldn't tell you the last time they've hosted a playoff game. It's it's definitely been over a decade. And those two flip flopping spots in the 
in the last week of the season makes a big difference. It is a hike from Colonel Richardson to Snow Hill. Yeah. Well, the loss that Colonel had to Nandua really hurt them. If they had beaten Nandua, likely Colonel would have hosted that playoff game, but now they have to travel to Snow Hill. Now, in the gameplay between the two of them earlier this year, uh, Colonel Richardson dominated that game, Coach, and we talked about the advantage in the trenches. Snow Hill against a team like Colonel, they just can't compete in the trenches. Uh, Colonel Richardson... As we know, they love to run and run the football, and and at at it they do. And they put up some 50 points against uh, Snow Hill in that game earlier this season. Uh, The final score was 55 to 28. Yeah, that's a a ton of points for for a a Colonel Richardson team. But um, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a if it's a much tighter contest this time around. Yeah, I, I would. I would think so. And I thought it would be a closer game the last time around. Snow Hill has athletes. They can. They can score. They've got speed. So if they're able offensively to uh, do some damage there and maybe even take some time off the clock, we know. So the problem is, Colonel Richardson's offense takes off takes so much time off the clock. You're limited in your offensive possessions. So you better make the most of them, and then. If your defense has been out there for a long time, having given up a long touchdown drive, you know, depending on the field position, and then your offense is three and out, those guys are dog tired having to go right back out there. Yeah, that that is correct. So um, it, Colonel Richardson definitely uh, proposes some problems and a lot of frustration for other teams. Yeah, so they'll be uh, Colonel will be favored even though they've got to make the long trip to Snow Hill. So those are your uh, those are your playoff matchups uh, for Friday night as uh, playoffs get underway. All teams get in, uh, even the teams that have losing records or, in Washington's case, uh, a winless a winless record. All teams get in. That's the change. Uh, Owings Mills won the other night, Coach. So Stephen Decatur in the 2A uh, will still be just a shade, I believe, under them in terms of overall points. But as David Dotson pointed out to me last weekend in a text, all the Bayside teams that have gone to the championship game have hosted the semifinal game. So that, that it, since 1996, that is. So that seems to be the secret sauce is you need to host that that playoff game. Yeah, um, and we talked. It's a it's a unique advantage in the playoffs because you have teams traveling great distances to come play you. Coach, you and I have talked about this before. You've said that you would rather face a team that you haven't played all year as compared to facing a Bayside Conference team for a second time. Yeah, I, number one, as as a coach and players, you know, you play the same people all the time. It's it's fun. It's fun playing somebody else. Um, you know, watching new film instead of you know, if you, you play you play North Carolina every year and you're watching this wing tee over and over, it's nice to watch somebody <laughs> else. Um, and you know, even if especially if you play that game in close proximity, so it's like a a week nine to a week ten or, or one week apart, you're you're giving your opponent the best scout team they can possibly get with the first time you played them. Mm-hmm. I, I I hear that, and and the knowing the other team goes both ways. Um, I, I would still think there's some comfort, though, in knowing the opponent better than not having played them before. And again, I know that goes both ways as well, but just from you know, the standpoint of if I'm coaching a team, I'm not so sure that I don't want to play uh, a Bayside Conference team again. But all of these first-round matchups, you're getting, you're getting another Bayside team. Yeah, because we finally have the region. It's just it's in the entire Bayside. Yeah, the entire Bayside. So that's uh, that's what you'll have. So those are the matchups for you with the playoffs. Last year, Ken Island made it to the 2A state championship game. They fell to Milford Mill, the team that Stephen Decatur fell to in the state semifinals. Uh, Coach, let me, uh, before as we wind things down, 
what going from and you've had a lot of success during the regular seasons it's a new ball game in the postseason if you're giving advice say to a Nick McMorris who's a a first-year head coach at North Carolina what advice would you give him they had an eight and one year that's great but what advice would you give him going from the regular season to the postseason and do you make any adjustments changes whether it be on the field or off the field uh once you get in the playoffs yeah, my advice to any coach would would be to to not do anything differently than what you've been doing. Um, the pressure the pressure ramps up. I know it does for coaches. I'm sure it does for the players as well, um, because in the back of everybody's mind, especially those seniors, is you know this could be the last one, and you know you you don't <laughs> that's not what the, that's not the way you want to be thinking when you're out on the football field. So I, I'm a big I'm really big into routine. Like you've been practicing a certain way. Yeah, um, the entire season, it's it's time to stay consistent. Yeah, I think when you get that first one under your belt in the playoffs, uh, I, I think for the next game, and this is just my sense, there's a little less in the way of the anxiety given the fact that you know you've done it already. And so you've got that playoff win under your belt. I think there's a little less. I'm not saying it goes away entirely, but I think there's a little bit more comfort. But I, you tell me, what, what's your experience been? Gosh, I, I I don't know about that. I, I kind of feel that the the pressure ramps up with yeah, everyone, and, and that's fair. That's fair. No, I, I get that. I get that. All right. So those uh, those are the uh, recaps of the games, the uh, playoffs. We've covered a lot of ground with all of that. Just quickly in the Maryland State Top Twenty Five poll, of which I'm a voter, uh, Coach Stephen Decatur getting consideration, getting votes. They haven't cracked the top twenty five yet. Uh, they've certainly more than proven themselves in the base side uh, with large margin victories over top teams in Kent Island and uh, North Carolina. And then they uh, dispatched a Parkside in the second half, primarily in that game, winning uh, commandingly. They had one Western Shore game that they played against Randallstown, and they won that game big uh, at home. Uh, I have, uh, and I, I don't always give away everybody I voted for, uh, but I, I have voted for Decatur recently. I did want to wait until they played Kent Island in North Carolina, though. I have voted for them, but again, I'm only one voter. We'll see if they could crack into the top 25 or not. I'll just, I'll, I'll just say this real quickly. Let me and, and just give you a, a scenario of something here. Uh, Kent Island had a, a good non-conference win against City from Baltimore City. City College, as you remember, Coach, that was, what, a 33-32 win. Okay, Dunbar, mm-hmm. Dunbar is ranked 16th in the state. Dunbar beat City 62 to nothing, I believe it was. <laughs> now, uh, that, just, that, that, uh, you know, Dunbar program is something else. Yeah, but just to give you an idea of, of rankings and, okay, so Kent Island's one of the better teams at the Bayside. They beat City by a point. City goes and plays a top 15, top 20 team in the state and gets beat 60 something to nothing. I just, it, it's not a perfect science. And, but just that gives you an idea. However, you know, I certainly do believe that, that, um, that uh, uh, Decatur deserves to uh, you know, to be in the top 25. And look, uh, Coach, I'll be honest. I think the Bayside this year is not as strong as it was last year. Um, so I think that has to factor in as well when you're going to vote a team into the top 25 in the state. Um, that's just my, just my two cents. Um, I think last year's conference top to bottom was better, but you know, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out, especially in the playoffs when, uh, some teams get an opportunity to play, uh, if they continue to win outside of the Bayside. And and I think Steve Decatur will end up in that top 25, uh, by the time the, the playoff season's over. Um, cause I, I'm expecting a pretty deep run for, from them. If not, you know, the, the possibility of playing in that last game of the season. 
Something that Coach Coleman brought up that I wanted to make mention quickly here, and that is uh, college football offers. Uh, Coach, taking a look here, um, Tribe Wise, the wide receiver with Stephen Decatur, received an offer from the University of Toledo. I saw that for uh, Queen Anne's County, for the Lions, that uh, Malone Grace received an offer from McDaniel College, Division Three, out of Westminster. Uh, I know as well that I think, uh, was it uh, Nasai Bell got a preferred walk-on offer to Ohio uh, University. We also mentioned a few weeks ago that um, Janarian Thompson with Queen Anne's got his first offer. He's a freshman. He got an offer from Campbell University uh, down south. So just giving you, uh, and I'm sure there's a few others, and I'm sorry that I'm I'm missing out, on, on a few others. I'm trying to put that list together as we speak, but that certainly, again, speaks very highly, though, of the conference. And going to Nasai Bell, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see if he chooses to play college at the next level, what a college is going to do with him because he literally has the size to – he could be anything. <laughs> he could be anything at all. You're talking about what position he would be at? Yeah, he, I mean, I could see him at wide receiver. I could also see him at defensive end, putting some some weight on. You know, like you could do anything with him. He's yeah. he's a rare talent. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, and uh, we'll we'll see what turns out, what happens with uh, with all of that. But uh, that's uh, you know great to see those guys in, in getting uh, getting the scholarships. I'm trying to scroll through right now on the Facebook page for nchs athletics and i can't (laughs) i'm not i'm not finding it here so i'll I'll put together a list next time and we'll hopefully have everybody that's been offered a scholarship i did also want to make mention two other notes and then coach will let you go appreciate your time uh the delaware football team who has a couple of bayside conference alumni on the roster in marcus yarns at running back and ryan o'connor at quarterback well Delaware defeated Towson 51 to 13 on Saturday. Marcus Yarns finished with 168 all-purpose yards on a career high 105 receiving yards and 63 rushing uh and 63 it says 63 rushing touchdowns. That can't be right. 63 uh rushing yards. He scored five total touchdowns with four of them coming on the ground. How about that? And I, I, from what I've seen on social media reading the stories that this has been all year <laughs> been producing he has yes this isn't the only game but uh, that certainly stands out when you have five touchdowns like that so congratulations congratulations to him and coach uh, mark potter made the announcement he's going to be coaching the saint michael's girls basketball team he loves coaching high school girls basketball that's his favorite of all the sports he's coached and so he's he's uh, going to uh, get back into basketball uh, he made that announcement what uh, a couple of weeks ago on Facebook, and then I think during the game last week. So we uh, we certainly wish him well, and uh, I, I miss my coaching days of uh, of basketball as well. But I, I still I still prefer I still prefer football on game day though. Yeah, and I think we have to get a little trip together to to heckle Mark on the sidelines yeah. at least for one of these games. How about that? Yeah, but I have noticed that there are a lot of job openings for coaches at the various Bayside Conference schools. So if you're interested, I'd hop on the Facebook page for these uh, 
athletic departments or these schools and check out what's available. I know North Carolina recently hired some people, but I think Bennett's looking for a lot of people. Why High's looking for a lot of people. And uh, again, I'm sure there are some other schools in up north as well uh, that that could uh, fill some positions. So you know, if you're interested or know somebody that is, you know, pass on the word. Oh yeah, and and you can probably go into every schools, every school district site and to the job openings, their coaches listings all the time. Yeah. Well, coach, it's been a pleasure. I do appreciate it. Uh, taking uh, a lot of your time, but we've had a lot of ground to cover, and uh, we did want to make mention that. Uh, uh, one of our seg- this last segment, I should say, was brought to you by an optical galleria. They've created a sunglass line known as Hook Optics, an amazing fit for heads of all sizes and a variety of color and polarized lenses. Stop by an optical galleria in the Teal Marsh Plaza in West Ocean City, a West Water Street in downtown Centerville, and downtown Easton on Harrison Street to try on a new pair of Hook sunglasses. I've got a pair. I've also got a regular pair of glasses from them. They do a phenomenal job. Great customer service. Check them out online at eisenart.net or hookoptics.com. And I think they also have their own podcast themselves if i'm not mistaken oh is that right i didn't know that yeah yeah so but we appreciate all our sponsors and we'll be hearing from our friends at uh, the preston automotive group coming up here in just a second but coach uh, the friday night game of the week overtime live playoff edition friday night six o'clock north carolina hosting wicomico and like i said this it should be on ups- i'm not calling it upset but I'd, I'd say we need to be on upset alert It'll be an interesting matchup, and uh, glad we're doing that game. And well, I say six o'clock, Coach. I, I I'm just going off of what has been the case. I don't know what the playoffs if that changes. So uh, stay tuned to our Facebook page, and we'll we'll let you know. Hey, sounds good. All right, Coach. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, next week. All right, talk to you next week. See ya. The top 60 sales drive is going on right now at the Preston Autoplex. Over 2,000 vehicles available to shop from, and you'll save big. Take advantage of over $10,000 total savings on America's best-selling truck, the Ford F-150, or over $3,000 on the adventure-ready Ford Bronco Sport. The inventory and savings continue beyond Ford with hundreds of new Hyundais, Mazda, Nissan, Lincolns, and Genesis vehicles in inventory. And now is the time to trade up during the sales drive with $1,000 Preston Trade Assistance. Every new vehicle purchase comes with Preston for life. Engine guarantee is our investment in you. We now offer mobile service for all service-related needs, including oil changes, brake replacements, tire repairs, and genuine parts installation for all makes and models. Our skilled technicians will come directly to you. You can find us at the crossroads of routes 318 and 331. Our doors are open 838 on the weekdays and 830 until 6 on Saturdays. Be sure to visit us for our annual trunk or treat at the Preston Autoplex on Saturday, October 21st from 2 until 4 p.m. Prizes for the best costume, food trucks on site, and fun for the entire family. Cars cost less in Preston. You've been listening to the Time Out with Shore Sports Podcast with Mark Potter and Mike Bradley. Presented by the Preston Automotive Group. You can email Mark and Mike with your comments and questions. Mark at ShoreSportsMD.com or Mike at ShoreSportsMD.com. Look for another Time Out with Shore Sports Podcast soon.